Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you wish to follow me this evening, you can open your Bibles to Luke 21, 20 through 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive unto all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Please be seated. Open your Bibles now, please, to Matthew chapter 24. If you want an outline of the sermon, you may have it by leaving that passage open on your lap. Matthew, the 24th chapter. I want to talk tonight about the destruction of Jerusalem and want to make some applications to our lives. The, the destruction of Jerusalem is discussed in three of the four gospel accounts. It's in Matthew 24, it's in Mark 13, it's in Luke chapter 21. And, and uh, they, of course, agree. Luke has a, little, uh, a couple of additional details, and that's why you heard it read in your, in your hearing just a moment ago. This is a sermon about believing God means what he says. When Josephus, the historian, a Jewish-Roman man, historian from the first century, he died in 100 A.D., when he was writing about the destruction of Jerusalem that happened between A.D. 66 and A.D. 70, he said that it was among the, the catastrophes, the great catastrophes of the Jews. And he named them. I, I don't know that I, I necessarily would have chosen these, but he said the three great catastrophes would be Sodom and Gomorrah, the flood, and the destruction of Jerusalem. He said the big one, the big one, was the destruction of Jerusalem. I want to give you some quotes. I have several of them in, in front of me that I think are going to be important. Now, you're familiar with the destruction of Jerusalem, I think. And this is when God from heaven expressed that he was done with the Jewish system. I mean, a man today who is a Jew cannot tell you, not with any certainty, from what tribe he comes because those records were destroyed in AD 70 when Titus, the Roman, came in and, and destroyed Jerusalem. Anyway, here, here's the gist of what Josephus says. Starved by inhabitants blocking the exit, the Jews were leaving, trying to leave, and they were caught and crucified until no more crosses were left and no room for crosses. Women took food from babies. There was cannibalism. People roamed the marketplace as living skeletons. Many died while burying the dead. Soldiers broke into the city and killed dying people just to try out their knives. 
They dissected 2,000 in one night who had swallowed gold to try to keep it. Some surrendered, surrendered for food, then ate so much they burst asunder. And Jesus makes it plain that sin is what brought about these conditions. The destruction of Jerusalem was God's answer to the wickedness of the Jews. They were chosen by God, but they crucified God's Son, and then they trampled any expression of grace that came from God. They were finished off, and forevermore it, it answers the question about whether the Jews were still God's chosen people. They are not. Christians who follow, people who follow Jesus Christ in his New Testament, <clears throat> Galatians 3 says in verse 28, we are the descendants of Abraham and we're heirs according to the promise. Now, you know everything I just said probably about the destruction of Jerusalem and the reason for it and so forth, but you, know, you, may, not, you may not know this. Historically, no Christians lost their lives in the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, I don't remember how many years ago I, I learned this, but I remember learning it, and it was just profound to me that you had this, this kind of cataclysmic attack, the siege, the surrounding of Jerusalem, and there were Christians there. But historically, none of the Christians lost their lives. And how can that be? How can that be possible? I, I want to show that to you. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 24 now. And I want to read the first 21st verses, and, um, and then we'll launch into some of these historic quotes, and then I want to make application. This is Matthew 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out, departed from the temple, <clears throat> and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down of the temple of the temple. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? <clears throat> now, remember that Matthew chapter 24, and boy, this causes people a lot of trouble, is, is about two things because they're very similar. It's about the destruction of Jerusalem, but it's also about the judgment day, the end of time. And, and uh, so, if you get those mixed up, then you, you know, you get kind of crazy. I mean, people worry about wars and rumors of war because they think that indicates that the, the judgment day is about to happen. <clears throat> the problem with that is we've always had wars and rumors of wars. There's never been a time that we didn't. This wasn't an indication of the coming of, of the Lord, the second coming. This was an indication of the destruction of Jerusalem. And, and there's so many different hints here. So follow me now. So when will be, uh, when will these things be, that, the, that one stone won't be left on another? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. There's going to be hard things, hard things, but the end's not yet. 
And then many will be offended, betraying one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, in Luke 21 20 inserts here, and you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. And by the way, just I'm just going to stick this in here. When you read Linsky on this, he makes this observation that the abomination means something that is utterly abominable in God's sight. The abomination of desolation occurred in the temple prior to the siege under Titus. It took place when the zealots who held the temple under arms admitted the Idumeans as a result of the temple was deluge, as a result, the temple was deluged with the blood of 8,500 victims. He says that was the abomination of desolation. When you see that happen, well, obviously it was something that they could see, they could tell. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. When you see this, that's when you know you need to run. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. When this happens, I'm telling you, you've got to get out. Don't go back down to pick anything up. You go. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But pray that your flight be not in winter or on the Sabbath. <clears throat> now, that's very interesting. And incidentally, people who get this mixed up, these verses mixed up with the last great day, the judgment day, I don't know what you'd do with it. What difference would it make that, a, that, a, that it was in winter when the Lord returns? What difference would that make? You think that's going to slow him down any? I doubt that. Or that it was on the Sabbath day. Well, in reference to the destruction, that would have a, the Sabbath would have a bearing on the gates being closed. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. Drop down to 32. Now hear this parable from the fig tree, when its branches already become tender, puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that he is near even at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass until all these things are fulfilled. All right, now, I'm not talking about the end of time, the judgment day tonight. That's really not my point. I want to make observations about the destruction of Jerusalem. When you get to 36, though, you have a transition. Now, it's not going to be altogether clean because there are so many similarities between the destruction of Jerusalem and the last great day. But you do have a transitional verse. It's verse 36. But of that day and hour, I would underline that so that you'll remember to put the emphasis on the word that. But of that day and hour knows no man. That's talking about the judgment day. Don't you be looking for hints about that. You can forget that. The judgment day is going to come as, as a thief in the night. Right? If I knew a thief was coming in the night to my house to um, break in and take our things and maybe do us harm, I think I, think I would get a party ready for him. Right? I, I would I would be ready. I, I wouldn't probably get ready a week before. I'd, I'd wait until it was about time, and then I'd get ready for him. The thief in the night is. The point is that you don't know when that's going. That's the very that's the very point of a person coming and breaking in. He's going to wait 
for the time when nobody's watching. That's how the judgment day is going to be. Now, back to the point. So, history says all the Christians escape the destruction. And let's, let's read some quotes. And I'm going to throw some up on the, on the board here. This is Eusebius. The people of the church in Jerusalem were commanded by an oracle given by revelation before the war to those in the city who were worthy of it to depart and dwell in one of the cities of Perea, which they called Pella. To it, those who believed on Christ traveled from Jerusalem, so that when holy men had altogether deserted the royal capital of the Jews and the whole land of Judea, and etc. Again, they got out. They got out and went to Pella. Epiphanius said this, This heresy of the Nazarenes exists in Barona, or Berea, in the neighborhood of Coel, Syria, and the Decapolis in the region of Pella, and in Basanitis, in the so-called Cocoba. From there it took its beginning after the exodus from Jerusalem when all the disciples went to live in Pella because Christ had told them to leave Jerusalem and to go away since it would undergo a siege. Because of this advice, they lived in Perea after having moved to that place, as I said. Let's do one more. Epiphanius says, So Aquila, while he was in Jerusalem, also saw the disciples of the disciples of the apostles flourishing in the faith and working great signs, healings, and other miracles. For they were such as had come back from the city of Pella to Jerusalem and were living there and teaching. For when the city was about to be taken and destroyed by the Romans, it was revealed in advance to all the disciples by the angel of God that they should remove from the city as it was going to be completely destroyed. They sojourned as immigrants in Pella. What? Well, that's exactly what happened. We read it just now from, from Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus said, here's what to look for. Here's what's going to happen. And when this happens, I want you to get out of there. The historians just say that that's what they did. But there's one more thing that I think is an interesting quote. And, and this also is from Josephus about Cestius and about the attack. And he brought the Roman army at Jerusalem and he was just about to penetrate the wall, except for something very strange. He backed off for three days. Here's what Josephus says. It, it then happened that Cestius was not conscious either how the besieged despair of success nor how courage, courageous the people were for, for him. And so he recalled his soldiers from the place, and by despairing of any expectation of taking it without having received any disgrace, he retired from the city without any reason in the world, there it was that Cestius stayed two days and was in great distress to know that he should do what he should do in these circumstances. But then on the third day, he saw a great number of his enemies and all the parts around about him full of Jews. He understood that his delay was to his own detriment and that if he stayed any longer there, he should still have more enemies upon him. And that was the time when allegedly the Christians got up and got out. And the Lord protected them by this warning. Now, what I just read about Cestius is sort of a <clears throat> technical standpoint about how they were able to get out, but that's not the point of the sermon. There's more to it than that. The, the point of the sermon is that 
that Jesus told them what to expect, and that's exactly what happened. And based on that information, they, they got out. Now hold that a second and realize that the chapter from the lips of our Lord is, is a comparison of the similarities between the destruction of Jerusalem and the last great day. Now the destruction of Jerusalem, long gone. That happened in AD 70, 66 to 70. That's all done. But what I want you to get tonight in this simple short sermon, we'll see if it's short. In this sermon, what, what I want you to get is that there are four basic things that got those Christians out of Jerusalem before the destruction just enveloped them. And these are the things that you, you and I must do in preparation for <clears throat> the judgment day. I wouldn't have wanted to be a victim of the destruction of Jerusalem, and I do not want to be, when the Lord returns, a recipient of his condemnation. And here are the four things. I'm going back to Matthew chapter 24. Here's the first one. These people were familiar with the word of God. Now, drop down to verse 33 and, and get this, because this is kind of a summation. Jesus said, so you know, you so you also, when you see all these things, know that he is near even at the doors. How do you like that? I've given you all these hints. I know I'm telling you what to look for, and you just know when you see these things that it's about to happen. <clears throat> now, what's interesting to me is that they knew the word of the Lord. They knew that, and that was essential for them getting out. Think about passages. I don't know when the end of time is going to come, and I'm, I'm not saying that, but... But knowing God's word is, is what our salvation is dependent upon. You'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. John 8 and 32. Or John 12 and 48. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. You've got to know the word. The time that you spend in worship listening to sermons, the time you spend in Bible classes, it's just so terribly important. The time that you do at home studying the Bible, so very important. Because, because what you don't know could hurt you. These people were told by Jesus, I've told you what's going to happen and what to look for. It was simply based on them listening to that, that they were able to get out. Acts 17, verse 11, the Bereans were more, more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out if these things were so. That needs to be characteristic of us. We're so very blessed in this church to have great Bible class teachers. I listened to another class this morning by Bill Eaves, and he's just a great teacher. He's sim I don't mean to embarrass him, but he's just a great teacher. We have so many great teachers. And, and here was a class that was well-prepared and biblical from Romans chapter 12, and we went, we went right down the line of Scripture and made application. And, and that's, that's, that's valuable. Don't take that for granted. The reason why they were able to escape is because they, they knew what the Word of God is. But here's the second thing. It's because they believed it. They got out because they believed it. Now, I know that seems intuitive, but it shouldn't seem that way at all. Here's a bit of history for you. Nikita Khrushchev, some of you are not old enough to remember. I barely am. I think he started as the secretary of the Communist Party of, um, in Russia in 1953, and it went to about 1964, and then they booted him out. I think he died in 71. But here's the interesting thing. I, I don't, I'm not into Russia very much, but um, here's really interesting thing to me is that it said that he knew the Bible, the New Testament, very, very well. His son, after he was gone, 
made the statement that, that Kirchhoff um, could quote, he believed his daddy could quote the four gospel accounts, all four accounts. That's how well he knew the scriptures. It wasn't a matter of him not knowing the scripture, he just didn't believe it. Bear in mind that he also was a proponent of atheism. I mean to the degree that he wanted all the Soviet Union to be atheistic. He believed in communism and atheism. He believed it would be a better culture without religion altogether. That's a matter that you know it. You, I mean, you've got to know it, but you've also got to believe it. And that's, that's what these people did. The Christians in Matthew chapter 24, they had an active faith. So James 2 and 24. You see that how about by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Hebrews eleven seven by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house. They didn't just know God's instruction about that ark. He believed it. Do I? In Acts seventeen, when the apostle Paul was on that ship as a prisoner, hit a storm, bad things, and he came to the the men of that ship. Now he's a prisoner, mind you, but he said, look. An angel of the Lord has told me that what's about to happen is that we're going to lose the ship, but because I need to go and see Caesar, the Lord has decided there won't be any loss of life here. And, and then this quote was that I believe what the Lord said. That's what he will do. Number three, they held loosely to the things of this world. Now I just want you to think about what verse 17 and 18 and so Jesus said now, and he's been giving these hints, these things to look for. When you see these things, verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now he's emphasizing that, and he uses a reference to their material possessions in 17. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. They held loosely to the things of this world. There wasn't any temptation to say, I don't think I'll listen to him. They listened to him. They believed what he said, and they were going to get out of there. Now, they, they were willing to risk everything that they had in order to follow what he said was the right thing to do. What about possessions? Got to have them to live. But we also have to have a worldview, a perspective of them that, that is obviously constructed toward Christ. So here is 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17. And if you see your brother, if you have this world's good, you see your brother that is in need and you shut up your bowels of compassion toward him, how, dwell, how dwells the love of God in you? Matthew 6 and 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. And here's the last one. They were considerate of one another. I don't have a verse to show you about this, but what I've demonstrated, I hope, is a pretty strong case. I believe is a pretty strong case that no Christians lost their lives. But when it was time to go, it was time to go right now. Don't you go back to your house. If you're on the, the rooftop, don't go back in. If you're in the field, don't go back and get your clothes. You get going now. Now, you're talking about a significant number of Christians, and so it seems w without doubt I mean, how, does, how do you think it is when they saw the abomination of desolation, when they saw what was happening in that temple and the blood being shed there, and they knew 
this is what Jesus was describing, and the time is now. What do you think they did? What do you think those conversations were like? What do you think they said to each other? You, you, you use your imagination. We got to, we got to go now. Now you come. I want you to lead. I'll get behind you. You carry her baby for her. Now you get go. Let's go. Let's go. Now you're going too slow. We've got to be, be going right now. Go out that gate right now. Right? Come on. I'll help you. I'll help you. I know you struggle to walk. Let me help you do this. Had to happen. Had to be true. Hebrews chapter three, exhort one another daily while it's called today. That's what we do. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Second Peter 3.10 says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, when the, which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, the earth, the works therein, shall be burned up. And then it says this, Seeing that these things, that's the last great day, shall all be destroyed, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? What, what kind of people ought you to be? I'll tell you right now, I, I am grateful in my life for every person who encourages me to do the right thing. I'm, so, I'm just so thankful to be part of the church, especially this one, because, because we care about each other, because we hold each other accountable. We, we're striving for the same thing. How'd they, how'd they get away from the destruction? records that there were no Christians lost in this destruction. One, they were familiar with the Word of God. And number four, they encouraged. They were considerate of one another. And all of those things, like this chapter, are applicable not only to the destruction of Jerusalem, but to what ultimately we'll face, we will face, which is the last great day. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.